This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Christy Landwehr in Aurora, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for this Tuesday, June 18th. And we are episode 2205. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. I got a bad feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Missed it by that much. How can I change this to make it better the next time? How do I get? Yeah. Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. Coming up on today's show, Tom Newman's going to stop by and shed a little light on light therapy. And then CHA instructor Lisa Lombardi is going to talk about what it's like to evacuate your horse business in a natural disaster, having done so herself. And then Scott Halliday from Jefferson County Horse Evacuation Assistance Team, there's a mouthful in Colorado, is going to talk about large animal rescue. So stay tuned for the fray, folks. Are we getting ready for wildfire and hurricane season here today, Christy? It looks oh, we are. We are. <laughs> yes, it's an unfortunate thing, but it's reality, you know, and when you have 40 horses in a two horse trailer, that's not how you do it. Yeah. So <laughs> no, stuff we got to talk about. <laughs> so uh, I had I won the lottery this morning, Christy. Ooh. So, you know, we're coming out to your neck of the woods. We're flying out to Denver tomorrow, Jennifer and I, for the WISA, which is the Western English Sales Association trade show. Uh, we, we usually see you there. And uh, this morning, because we're flying Southwest, I had to get on and log on to get your boarding passes. And, you know, Southwest does the ABC sections. And Uh it's like playing a video game. You wait (laughs) until I had my alarm set. I was ready. I plugged in all the information. And you wait until your computer changes the time, the exact minute, and you hit go. And I got A section. Can you believe that? Oh, that is that's, that is the lotto. It is like winning the lottery. Why is that? I mean, if you're in B, you still get a seat, right? So I mean, right. I don't know why it's such a big deal with Southwest to get A, but it's like when you, do you do that or am I the only one? Oh, no, no, I totally do that. A is so important. You get the front of the plane, so you get to get off first. You get a window or an aisle for sure. You're not stuck in the middle. Oh, I just love, love A. You can even sometimes get exit row with A. I know. Sometimes it depends. Uh, uh-huh. Now, we're A 20-something, so I there's a good shot Ooh. of getting the exit row. I mean, that's really good yeah. for not paying for it and being above I know. 30. Wow. Uh, you, know, you know, every plane is full. I mean, have you've been flying a lot lately. Have Have you had any empty seats on any planes? Oh, no, no, no. I always have a neighbor. Yeah, Yeah. every single time I have neighbors. But I just came back from Washington, D.C., and I know we're going to talk here in a sec about American Horse Council. But while I was there, we I had my um, husband and boys with me. We decided to do a little family trip and tag it on. So we're it was really fun. So we're sitting there and we're out on the Lincoln Memorial and we're watching the Marine Band do their Sunset Tuesday thing that they do. It's fabulous. Oh, that's cool. I got goosebumps just thinking about that. 
Oh, they were amazing. I mean, all in formation and they just, wow. I mean, really, really good. And I mean, they carry the tubas on their shoulders. I don't know how they do it. But anyways, really, really fabulous. And my alarm goes off and my husband turns around and looks at me and I run away. I scuttle away from everybody (laughs) and I hover, 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 bam. And I got a two. So I come back to the line all happy. And he goes, what was that all about? I go, that was Southwest. I'm on A and all of us are on A. I got four of us on A. I'm like, yes. (laughs) It's it's like winning the lottery. Really? Oh, it's so exciting. So what was the kids' favorite part of, I know this is totally off topic, but going to D.C., we have some friends that are there right now posting a thousand pictures, so it made me think of it. What was the kids' favorite part of being there? You know, that's so fun that you asked. So I'll be honest with you, Sean, the 14-year-old, he really enjoyed uh, the Lincoln Memorial. He walked in there and thought that was like, whoa. And it's then huge. How he go? It's much bigger than it looks in the, yeah. Wow. He was really impressed with that. He was also impressed because on the Capitol tour, they got to go underground in this oh. little, what they thought was like a secret tunnel mm-hmm. and go over to the Library of Congress and see some stuff. So they really liked that. And then Kyle, the 12-year-old, he liked the scooters the best. <laughs> Uh-huh. The rental scooters you rent. Scooters. Oh, yeah. I go up and down the mall all fast on them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you like that the best. Did they get to go to the Smithsonian at all? They did. We went to Air and Space. They also went to Natural History and they went to um, the sculpture and Was Air and Space Garden. their favorite, of course? I think it was. Yeah. yeah was. I would have guessed yeah. that. But you know what? I'm going to give Florida a plug. NASA's better, yeah, in my you think? opinion. I do. Yeah. Yeah, we I went did. We went uh, for the first time since we moved here uh, the other last year and went over and did the whole tour of everything. And it is really cool the way they bring you into the space shuttle at yes. NASA. It is really cool. I mean, it's really cool. It made me cry. Yeah, I, it the way they do it, it yes. I'm not going to give it away. It's just spectacular. Oh. Yeah. oh, yes. Go, because it will make you cry. I mean, it made <laughs> me. I was all emotional. I'm not an emotional museum kind of. That's like weird, right? But no, yeah. I was. Yeah, it was good. No, I, I agree. That That is cool. But I haven't been to Air and Space for a long time up in D.C., and I'm sure they've added a lot, and it's still pretty cool. Oh, it's really good. Yeah. We went to a little museum. I don't even know if it's still there. Last time we were in uh, the Spy Museum. And that was kind of cool, too. They had an international spy museum. And it was really cool in D.C. I don't know. We it is still there. It and is? the boys loved it and John oh, yeah? loved it. Yes. Oh, yeah. They thought that was great. I imagine they would. There's lots of t- toys and gadgets in there. So Yes. They enjoyed that one very much. The only thing they said about the whole trip was... This is not really a vacation when dad makes us wake up at seven in the morning. We walk 10 miles and then we're done at 10 at night. Yes, to see everything. Yes, got to see it all in four days. Come on, do it all. All right, let's talk about the American Horse Council. That's why you were there. So um, let's, first of all, for those that don't know, explain what that is. Yes. So the American Horse Council is basically our body in D.C. You know how there's the American Pharmacist Association there and the bar associations there and there's all these big associations there. Well, we have our own presence. So where the American Horse Council has a presence there, you guys um, kind of like our lobbying group, right? It is. And they have staff and they actually go up on Capitol Hill to talk to senators and representatives about the different issues that affect the industry. And all of your state horse councils, I know some are more active than others, but all the state horse councils fall under the American Horse Council. So they have a big meeting in D.C. once a year. Um, So does all the different breed and discipline association, chief executive officers and senior staff come to talk about issues within the racing industry, the reining industry, the hunter-jumper world, FEI sport with USEF, 
um, just a bunch of people like that come. And it's very educational. And it's not just for those people. They're actually going to not have it in D.C. next year. They're going to have it here in Denver. They're going to try to change it up a little bit so that sure. it can be affordable for everyone to come. Yeah, D.C. So is kind, kind of expensive if you're going to stay. Uh, yeah, hotel yeah. rooms are not cheap there. Yeah, it's like going to New York that way. Um, yes. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that did happen there. I know that they touched on the safe sport, and I just wanted to remind everybody that on all of our other shows, pretty much, on the Horse Radio Network, they're doing a lot of coverage. I know the podcast coming out this Saturday is going to be all about that. So uh, if you want to hear more about that, then you can head to almost any of the other professional shows, eventing, dressage, all of those on the Horse Radio Network. But one of the things you had written down here is CBD use. And obviously, Obviously, FEI just, or uh, actually the uh, U.S. Equestrian just came out and said that they're going to test for that now, so that it's not allowed. So what was the talk there about CBD use in horses? Yes, you know, this was probably the hottest Coming topic. Coming from Colorado. In... <laughs> I know, I know. So they were teasing me every time I raised my hand. They're like, well, of course you're going to like it. I'm yeah. like, I didn't say that. I didn't I'm not say stoned that. now. <laughs> no, it's good. Stop. Just everyone. Well, you know, we, we were the first. So just saying we are the leaders on the state yes, side of that whole deal. So you got to have, you got to be a leader in something. There you go. Well, look but at it Pat was, Pirelli turned his whole farm into a, I know. a hemp farm. Smart. There's good money in that. <laughs> Not just for rope anymore. Nope. Good money in hemp. But it was, it was a good conversation. You know, there was a lot of, um, well, it's natural and it does a lot of good things for people, right? I mean, it can help us with our joint problems. It can help us with aches and pains. It can help us. But then basically, whether it was the Quarter Horse Association or whether it was, um, you know, the Hunter Jumper Association, the vets and others were saying, but the problem is it can alter right? The horse's performance, it can quite frankly, sometimes chill them out. And even if it doesn't have the THC in it, it can still say even without the THC in it. Yeah, it can, it can just cause a little bit of a calming effect. Um, because, but you know, then the other side was saying, well, it causes a calming effect because the aches and pains aren't there anymore. Well, Yeah. I mean, that's part of that. Yeah. Right. Uh, a lot of back and forth over the aisle and chicken or the egg. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. So I don't know, you know, there's, they're just saying that there's not necessarily enough testing yet. I mean, obviously in humans, I know some of the side effects are what diarrhea and lethargy. I gotta tell you, I tried it for my Lyme disease. A lot of Lyme people with chronic Lyme are getting good results with CBD. It helps like I get the, I get the uh, neurological version and it helps just that not be so bad. Um, But I tried it and it made my stomach violently ill. I mean, I couldn't, so it's interesting you say that's one of the side effects in horses, too. Yes, and everyone's chemistry is different, right? So obviously everyone's chemistry it isn't going to work for, um, and they're saying the same thing with horses. Well, because it can cause lethargy, that's why they're saying it might alter, right? Because it can cause you to be more sleepy. So if you're more sleepy, then maybe you're going to do better in Western pleasure, right? So it's those kinds of things, which is why I think the breeding no discipline comment. organizations. But, you know, that's that's why they're having a hard time with it. So we'll see. I think it's still definitely a work in progress. There's a there's a lot left. To I talk can tell about you, there's on. about a hundred companies coming out right now for with CBD for horses. Oh, I know. 
Yeah, they are. And they're, they're all over the world. I mean, they're over in England too. We actually, there was actually a couple there from England that flew in just to talk about it because it was on the agenda to talk about. Then we broke out into small groups and talked about it. I mean, it was definitely a hot topic. So I don't know. Let's just talk about the backyard trail rider horse owner, which is 80% of our audience aren't competitors, right? right? So, I mean, they're out there doing it. Obviously, if your horse has an issue with joints and stuff, and you know, it's one of those things where if you want to try it, you try it and see if it helps or hurts, right? I mean, sure. It's, you know, just like I tried it on myself to see if, and you know what? I, I didn't see any results because I couldn't take it long enough. That's the other thing with, right. with a, something like this, you have to take it for weeks at a time to start to see results like any other True. supplement, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, so for the backyard horse owner, it doesn't worry about testing or any of that stuff or, or competition. I, maybe they are getting good results. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it would be really interesting to hear about it. Um, I take it because I have low back pain and I don't have the chemistry you have. And for me, it works just fine. Yeah. So and they it's said, you know, it's interesting because we had a couple conversations with these CBD companies on the air and I brought up the stomach issue. And the first company's like, oh, it never causes stomach issue. That I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, and then the second company said oh it's a recurring problem we've been having <laughs> and we're trying <laughs> to adjust the formula so so the first one was like yeah it never causes stomach issues at all ever and the uh-huh. second one was like and I, second one i believe he seemed to be more honest and he was actually the guy designing the formulas and he said it's something we're working on so okay good you know so <laughs> what else what, what were they talking about were the hot issues this year you know, that, that, those are probably the big things. I mean, obviously, there was a lot about um, the racing and the visas um, and then talking about how now well, tracks, well, to, to like get to have people come over, whether whether it's an H1, 2 oh, or 3 visa, there's oh, a lot of stuff that, okay. you know, above my head. Because, stuff? Yes, yeah. as far as for employees. And they're saying that, you know, there's not a lot of... Um, domestic workers that want to do stable work necessarily and clean stalls and do all that to the degree that there might have used to have been when we had a lot more barn rats, right? And people that just wanted to do it to do it. And then they were having a really interesting conversation about how we compete with Amazon now because Amazon pays roughly $15 an hour to put something in a box. Yep. And they give full benefits and they give 401k and away you go. So we're all now as people that need stable workers competing in that arena and a lot of the racing industry and all the other breeding discipline associations and quite frankly, camps and some of your folks there are just having trouble finding counselors and finding grooms and finding these folks for, you know, less than 15 bucks an hour. And that's expensive. I saw an interesting article too. I wanted to talk to you about maybe at the end of the show, I can pull it up about... About them, uh, like the FEI and, and the uh, other organizations cracking down on who's a professional and who's an amateur. And there was an interesting article written by a lawyer about about the simplest things that can cause you to be, be classified as a pro that you never even think about, especially if you're as a working groom and stuff like that. Um, I just thought that was it was a very interesting article. But yes. we, are, we are going to I, let's let's hold off because uh, I think our first guest is is going to be here shortly. But uh, later on, before we get to our second guest, let's talk about your neighbor. Oh, absolutely. All that right? sounds like Because I think that'll sure. be a perfect lead into our second guest, don't you? I do. Um, but yeah, your neighbor had a bit of an issue. You guys have been having some weather out there. Uh, I know you had some storms come across like the rest of the country. I, last night, you lost your internet. We weren't even sure you're going to be here today. So Yes, uh, I know. I thought I'd have to call in on my cell phone. But could you get all that all out of the way before we fly in tomorrow, by the way? Just saying. It's supposed to be sunny and beautiful. You're going to be okay. Yeah, I like that idea. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely do that as well. Um, and Jennifer is working on getting our first guest on here 
right now. I wanted to remind everybody that the rest of this week on Horses in the Morning, we will not have the live feed. There'll be no live feed. There'll be shows going up on the podcast players. So you'll see new episodes coming out on the podcast players. There just won't be any live shows because Jennifer and I need to manage that from here and we won't be here. So and end of the week, we're going to do our special Wisa episode, which is all new products coming to the market. So look for that. We'll have a bunch of Western, bunch of English and a bunch of just regular horse stuff. So look for that coming out Friday or Saturday on your feeds as well. All right, let's go to our first guest. Very excited to have the sponsor of our show today with us, Glenn, Tom Newman from Revitavet. Tom Newman, the owner of Revitavet Therapy Systems, is on. Um, This company was established in 2005 and still going strong. They are based in Phoenix, Arizona, and proudly manufactured their game-changing equine products in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They are now in 16 different countries with their products and growing. So, hi, Tom. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Thank you. So you travel all over the world to barrel races and everything. Where are you? I go you around today? the world. I'm mostly, I try to stay within the United States. So it's big enough a country for that. That's true. So where are you today? Are you at home or are you out and about? I'm at home. Yes. I'm at home in my office. In Arizona. Very good. Yep. Well, we, I'm going to tell the story of how we met because, you know, this is a morning show, Tom. So we enjoy a little bit of humor. So. Tom and I were at an event to be unnamed because I'll be professional. And we had booze next to each other in this particular year at the event to be unnamed. It was really yucky. Like there was nobody there and we were bored to tears. So we got to know each other really well. So I said, what are these lights? I have a bad back. So pretty soon he's putting the lights on my back and my back felt much better standing on that concrete. And I said, I need to learn more about your product. And that's how we got to know each other over four days of boredom. And so here we are. So that's great. So Tom, yeah, tell it's, us, uh, it's been fun. what is light therapy? Let's jump right in. Okay. Uh, well, light therapy is, or known also as phototherapy or infrared therapy. Uh, it's basically consists of exposure to specific wavelengths of lights. Um, we use polychromatic lights, which are mostly LEDs, primarily LEDs, um, and it's uh, used um, well both red and lights, uh, red and infrared lights in this case. Uh, the lights are have a specific wavelength, and uh, we utilize things like notary frequencies. But uh, light therapy, even uh, it was around 3,000 years ago, except they didn't use these devices. They just use sunlight, and it has the same effect in if done properly. And uh, there's no um, really side effects on it. And it has uh, pretty good healing properties, as we all know by now. Uh, lasers are actually considered light therapy as well. So it's not just infrared therapy. But okay. it makes changes in the in body. The lights pulsate, and you know, we can make the lights pulsate, and different cells respond differently to different frequencies, and you can basically customize your therapy. So when it's on uh, you, I can attest to the fact that it just gets a little bit warm and it feels good. Um, Do you think that when it's applied to the horses that it feels probably the same to them? What what have you seen the horses do when the lights are applied to them? How do they behave? 
Well, most of them lick their lips. It's as if they're getting a massage. Um, they know almost immediately that something is happening, and it's a good thing. Even if you put them on a fetlock or you know as far away from the body as possible, they feel it w- very quickly. As opposed to us, usually after 10 minutes or so, you get a relief or you get a result. But horses like it. Uh, well, since all mammals actually heal the same way, uh, it works like that on virtually everything. But uh, they like to stand there. I even I have done a barrel race years ago in Waco, where I was treating a horse, and he just uh, they were they had to leave after a while. You know, I was sitting in a uh, in a tent kind of situation. And after the uh, treatment was done, that horse did not want to leave. I mean, th- they really like what they get out of this. It's like getting a massage uh, and then some. They make their body feel good. Uh, it, um, um, it's, um, it's therapy. It's just, well, they never, let me put it this way. I never met a horse that ever complained about it. I love it. And horses don't have a placebo effect. They just, they don't get told this is going to feel good and make it feel good. They're just like, well, it either feels good or it doesn't. Yeah. So, and uh, riders, riders know the benefits from it because they get results very quickly when used in uh, therapy uh, for therapy purposes. But uh, in many cases, these lights, uh, especially the red lights, stimulate acupuncture points. And that's how it's being used in many cases. Um but horses absolutely love the product. So do dogs, and obviously people do too. And the, the heat that you were mentioning, it's its so minimal. Uh, the devices don't give out any heat. Uh, I mean, it's such a minimal heat, but when you put it against the body, like in your uh, lower, against the back or something, the air that's trapped between the pads, the treating pad and the body, gets a little bit uh, heated up. And it's just a soothing heat. There's nothing that's going to burn anybody. No, it feels wonderful. So, that, that so heat, Tom, really, do you use this before you ride, after you ride, in between rides? What works the best? Well, the biggest thing it's used for is preventive maintenance. Um, use it on a hocks and the knees and over the croup. That's what's really hocks and knees that's holding up the horse. You maintain those areas. And uh, you're going to get less injuries. So I would use it uh, on a regular basis as a maintenance device. Uh, it's also really good for pre-racing or pre-competition. If you put them on them for 10 or 15 minutes on a hocks and the knees and some other selected areas, you will actually get better performance out of them because you're giving them, it's a legal enhancer to get a, an extra dose of circulation. And... Um, seems to work pretty well but you can also use it afterwards for like a cooling down situation so there's a it it's endless really how you could use it uh you, the horse benefits from it either way no not to mention the rider as well and you can use it once a week or every day for 10 or 15 minutes i mean that doesn't it's kind of up to you and your schedule as well isn't it yeah, you can't overdose and there's no side effects. So you can use it uh, twice. If you have a, a fresh injury, I would use it twice a day for 15 minutes, depending on what you want to accomplish. And uh, if you have the time, that's great. If not, once or twice or even uh, three times a week, uh, it's better than nothing. 
But uh, programs that run that you utilize these devices, uh, they swear by them and they use them in a, on a regular basis every single day. So who are some of the different programs, you don't have to name names, but different disciplines and things that you're currently working with that are seeing good success? Well, there is um, virtually every single one of them. Uh, eventing, dressage, uh, mounted shooting, getting into the Western stuff, uh, uh, show jumping, of course, and um, even Western Pleasure benefits from it. Uh, barrel racing is a really big deal with it. So virtually all horses get injured. I don't care how you look at it. So it benefits every single discipline. We even use it in agility racing for dogs and uh, all these other dog disciplines. So it's it's out there. And I know, Tom, um, you come to from. our international conference every year. And I know there's... Um, quite a few of our lesson burn programs that are like, you know, our horses are primarily older, right? We like them over 12 at least, if not 15. And I know it really helps the old guys too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we've been using it. Uh, I was sponsored the IHSA a while back and they had a lot of old horses. There was one army horse that belonged to the army, uh, West Point cadets. And uh, it was a 33-year-old horse. And the first time we used this thing on him, just for a 10-minute uh, period before competition, they said that horse never performed better. And you're talking about a 33-year-old horse. That's awesome. That's like a 100-year-old so, you know, person. Excuse me? I said, that's like a 100-year-old person. That's great that it works it on. That it works me, on. Practically, yeah. It's, it's almost like me. But... Uh, <laughs> Well, not, not, not quite, but um, uh, people are actually using these devices for all the horses to keep them happy. And, uh, I mean, they're just uh, lone ornaments, pretty much. They don't compete, but uh, owners find it very useful, and they're happy with the devices or the technology. Uh, well, just to be uh, straight, get something straight, this technology was developed in Oklahoma for horses back in 1981. And it did evolve into human use, but it's primarily a horse product, and a lot of people still think it's the other way around. That is good to know. But it's, it's used for it's used for an awful lot of uh, um, even even mainstream medicine is starting to get into it. So, Tom, how does somebody get a system? How do they find you and make that happen? Well, they can uh, get on our website. Uh, at uh, revitavet.com or they can call uh, 800-279-1479 and uh, they can always call me and I, I, I always explain what it is. We don't high pressure anybody. So as long as they know what they're getting into, you know, they deal with it. And And so far, we do not have any single returns. So that's a good thing. People are using it and you know all devices and they still work and that is good because they work whether you're out in the cold whether you're in the hot they tend to just keep on going the pads are really um high quality it's it's a really good product so 
We so appreciate, Tom, having you on the show today. And I'm sure um, for any listeners out there that want to learn more about it, Tom can also explain it to you. Um, He's very good at the education side for those scientists that want to know more. So please do um, visit the website, email him or call him. So thank you, Tom. We so appreciated having you on the show today. Well, thank you, Christy. I'm glad to be here. See you soon. And that's Revitavet, R-E-V-I-T-A-V-E-T dot com. Revitavet.com. All right, let's hear this story about your neighbor's horse while Jennifer gets the next guest on. Yes, absolutely. Because it's kind of so, set up the rest of our show. It does. So we had um, we have a neighbor who lives just east of us, and they own two Belgian draft horse geldings. And he actually uses them to drive people around the mall, like at Christmas time, he does a lot of nursing home rides. He does quinceaneras, weddings, all kinds of things. So Bud and Jess, you know, they're always named one yeah, syllable that's, names that's in draft horse land. It can't right? be more than four letters Jess. for some reason. That's right. That's how it is. <laughs> so Bud is the flax and mane um, chestnut of the two. And he was down, like completely down. And one of their roommates uh, noticed that like at 5 a.m. when he woke up and so we um, called in, you know, all of us, all the neighbors came over to try to see what was going on. And we determined probably colicking, but we didn't really know. So, of course, the vet comes out, gives him some IV fluids because he was laying down, though, you know, pretty hard to put a gallon of mineral oil into a horse's laying down. A little bit worried about that, but started to treat him for colic, treat him for just, um, you know, overall body stuff. What's going on with him? What's going on with him? And he got to the point where he was down so long, we had to bring a tractor over and he's about a 2,800-pound horse, and we had to he's put guy, straps huh? on him. He's huge. <laughs> and we had to keep flipping him over because mm-hmm. if they lay down for too long, mm-hmm. they're not getting back up. So we had to use these straps and keep flipping. It was pretty crazy. So then when he finally started passing gas and we knew, okay, whatever was blocked in there, we've got it moving. We, now we have to get this big guy up. And you could see he kept trying to get up. He'd like get into camel position and then his back legs just wouldn't come under him. And then he'd get mad. He'd lay back down. And you know when horses paw when they're mm-hmm. mad? Mm-hmm. he just paw and paw. So we called in literally the fire department. And I want to give out a call out to the local... Sable Altura Fire Department, all volunteers, they came out and one of their firefighters had just had a horse die from colic two weeks ago. So he was Uh, very emotional. And he said, I have an idea. He goes, we have these huge pads that we put underneath cars and we use compressed air. Oh yeah, they, they blow them up like big airbags. Yes. So he said, let's flip him over one more time onto the pads. So we flip him over, all of us pulling and hauling on him over onto these pads. Okay. He gets onto the pads and you can tell he's like calm. He's like, whatever. He's a draft horse. And the guy goes, you think he's going to spook with a noise? I go, it'll get him up, won't it? Let's see what happens. (laughs) So in goes the compressed air and you could just see Bud's ears and eyes like, whoa, what's happening? And this, these bags lifted this draft horse all the way up until he was standing. And yes, he was wobbly, but he never went back down I didn't realize they got that tall. Yes. I thought they were just, you know, just did, went up like a foot or two, but they really do. They're big, huh? They go up as big as like a big blue ball and that you sit on, you know, one of those kinds go up that big. And it worked. It got him up. It got him up. (laughs) <laughs> and there he stood with There's like a clever around, fireman like, right what there. Is going on? And I wish we had had a video. It would have gone viral. Uh, yeah. I wish somebody had taken a video, but we were so in the moment of yeah, trying to see. How did that not course. happen? <laughs> oh my gosh. So he's still, yeah, he's alive and well and yeah, doing great. Oh, that's funny. 
It was awesome. That's funny. Well, good good thinking there on the fireman's part, part, point. Was uh, it that geez, That's good? a really good idea. Well, keep that in mind for future rescues. There you go. Large animal <laughs> rescue at its finest right there. Call your local fire department and who knows how they might help. <laughs> well, let's continue talking about emergencies and rescues because we are getting into that season. Of course, Jennifer and I had to bug out uh, for Irma last year. We yes. took our horses to a more solid barn and, and we actually stayed in the barn during during that hurricane. So, you know, we and and fortunately our barn was fine here at home but a big big huge 100 foot live oak tree had come down that was right beside the barn and it fell the other direction had it oh. fallen the other way it would have crushed the whole barn so you never know so that's why we're oh. talking about that today because everybody has yes. to deal with it in some point or another and we have our first guest well, I'm excited to introduce Lisa Lombardi. Lisa Lombardi has been with Certified Horsemanship since 1989. She was an equine science instructor at Santa Rosa Junior College also for many years. She is now clinic staff for us and owns nine horses that all work for her in her horseback riding lesson business in Santa Rosa, California. Hi, Lisa. Good morning. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing good. So explain for yeah. those listening, where exactly is Santa Rosa? Um, it is in Sonoma County, which is approximately one north, one hour north of San Francisco, so Northern California. And it is lovely green and lush this year, but that was not the case when you had all those fires. No, very brown, very dry, very windy that year. So tell us, when those fires came, what exactly did you and all of your neighbors do with your livestock? Up, oh, we're losing her. Uh, we totally lost her cell connection. Uh, matter of fact, she just dropped off. <laughs> so, oh, no! Jennifer, okay. <clears throat> why don't you try and get her back? Uh, see if we can get a better connection with her, because that was... We didn't understand anything she said. Well, and while we get her back on, let me explain, though, this year she was going to be um, one of our speakers at our international conference the year that that happened. And we thought for sure, you know, there's no way after this whole evacuation, everything else that happened that she'd come. Bless her heart. If she and her entire staff did not show up to the conference, she did her talk hmm. like the day after trooper hmm. got on an airplane, came to Kentucky from California and said, well, here we are. <laughs> okay. Have you ever uh, been in a situation where you've had to bug out? Knock on wood, no. No. Mm -mm. You get storms there, but Denver doesn't get the snow that the mountains does. I mean, you get snow, but not 10 feet. Yeah, I mean, um, we had that bomb, you know, hurricane, bomb cyclone that they were calling oh, it yeah. you know, last year. And we had to feed them all under the shelter with big bales of hay because they couldn't really come out because I don't have a barn. So we did that. But, you know, we've never really had to put them in a trailer unless they were injured, like to take them to the vet or whatever. But we've never had to do it for a weather purposes. Do you do you get to tornadoes in your area? We do. We have the sirens and we have to go in the basement. That's our protocol. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure if you got to tornadoes or not. Um. And have, have you had any tornadoes close to you? You know, I have a really cool picture of one that was in the sky, but it didn't touch down just two weeks ago as I was teaching a horseback riding lesson in my outdoor arena. Oh, good. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and it's real flat where you are, so you can see them from yes. 10 miles away. So yes. so now, how does the CHA, while Jennifer's trying to get the, our guests back, how does the CHA fall on whether you leave the horses in or out during the tornado or the bad storm? Because there's know, two points of view on that one. 
Yes, there is. And CHA, you know, we don't really say 100% because we don't want to cause an issue. We say strongly recommend, highly recommend on a lot of stuff, not mandatory. But for me personally, what we do here is we let them loose because I think if they're stuck inside a structure and that structure collapses around them, then they have no means of escape. If they're out on, if you have pasture, I mean, not everyone does, then if something comes flying at them, they can see it and run away from it, right? So I just personally, I don't know. I know, (laughs) I know. That's my gut feel, but I know that there's many schools of thought. Yeah, I mean, one of the schools of thought is that, uh, you know, more people and, and horses and everything get injured by flying debris than anything else. So, you know, I don't know. I think, you know, going to court, I could be a lawyer and argue both sides of this. Um, But you're right. I don't know that there's a right answer. Well, the right answer is you did the thing that saved your horse that time. Um, Right. You know, (laughs) the right answer is, yeah, I left him in and there were flying debris everywhere and it saved my horse. Um, well, it's just like those compression pads we talked about. That probably wouldn't work under every horse. I don't see some of our more hot-blooded members of our equine community liking that very much, right? But in this no, particular Jennifer had some case, thoroughbreds that wouldn't have put up with that too well. Right, no. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it definitely, I think, depends. So, well, it sounds like, Lisa, are you back? I am back. This is great news. All right. Well, we're going to jump right in. Please tell us about those fires that happened and what you and your neighbors did with your horses. Okay. I had been to a horse show that Sunday um, with a bunch of horses and children. And anyway, I shut off my phone that night, which I never do. So I slept through most of the horrendous part of it. So when I got up in the morning, I had 37 messages of where are you? Wake up, help, evacuate. Santa Rosa's burning down. And so we ran to the barn as quickly as we could get there. Didn't get dressed or anything. And there were glows in the sky and it looked like we'd been bombed. I had no idea what was happening. And at that time, none of the phone lines could work. So cell phones weren't working, landlines weren't working, um, electricity was off. So we had no idea what was going on. So we went to the barn, and it turned out to be a gathering place for other people whose houses and barns had burned down in the night. And we sat there ready to go for about 24 hours with trucks and trailers all set, ready to go, but not real sure in what direction because fires were coming from three different directions. Um, And we ended up being one block away from the fire and did not end up having to evacuate. Well, that leads me to the question, why why didn't you (laughs) evacuate in that 24 hours just because? Um, several reasons. One was I have a three horse trailer and nine horses. So we were trying to organize what we would do. One was they were saying to evacuate to the fairgrounds, but there was another fire coming from a different direction, heading straight towards the fairgrounds. And that didn't seem like a good idea to me. Mm. So I was trying to come up with an alternative plan, which we did. Um, of all people, my ex-husband's now wife called me and said they had property that was outside. It was in a safe zone. And so we were actually going to set up to go there as a staging area and then decide to go. That way we could go three trips of three horses and then go to a more permanent place from there. How do you know if you don't have self-service or phone lines of any kind, which way is going to be the route that you can actually get through? 
It was horrifying. We didn't know. And people ended up driving the wrong direction on the freeway because the fire jumped the freeway and mm. got them. So we kind of didn't know. And actually what ended up being the best thing for us, the source of information, was Facebook. Because people who did have power in different directions were able to get on Facebook and let each other know. And so that's how most of us did communicate during that time. Wow, Facebook was good for something. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> it was great. Wow. It was great. We had we had done the same thing in an earthquake a couple years earlier. So some of us knew to try that again. So how did you get the people, like, how did they all know to meet there? Like, how did you get the troops out basically like the the community call out was it all 100% on Facebook to come to your barn or was there other ways of knowing that I think people just felt like that was a safe place to go um it was just outside we're just outside the outskirts of Santa Rosa and yes the fire was headed that way but it was a bit more rural bit more um, routes to go, get out away from the freeway that was jam-packed. And I just think people think that the barn is a safe place to go and at least gather and come up with a plan. Well, it's so phenomenal. We didn't, we didn't organize that ahead of time. Yeah. Well, it's so good that so many of you were not, you know, injured and the horses weren't. I know a lot of your um, neighbors and things lost their homes and lost their barns. And then you had that one city yes. in California that completely disappeared off the map. Um, so it was, (laughs) yeah, a horrible time, but what do you, for our listeners that are in fire areas, what do you recommend that they do ahead of time just in case something like this happens? What are some of your thoughts on that now having been through it? Absolutely. Number one, have your horses know how to load into a trailer, no matter what. And I had learned that 25 years earlier when I was in another fire And there were 53 horses, and only mine didn't load. (laughs) And that was scary. We ended up getting out okay. But I learned then, from that point on, all of my horses will load into any type of trailer by anybody, even if they don't know what they're doing. Because the horses that I know that died, that didn't make it through this fire, were the ones that didn't get into a trailer. That's huge. I'd say that's. And you know why I think that's so huge too, Lisa, many of us, and I know as an instructor myself with my own backyard facility, I don't need to go anywhere. I don't go to horse shows, you know, I don't necessarily, I mean, one of them goes on trail rides. The other one never leaves. He's not a trail horse. He just works in the arena. So I don't have any need to load him, but you're right. All of us should at least once or twice a year load and unload our horses and drive around the city and come back. So I can hear people at home going, but I don't have a trailer. How do I practice yes. loading? Good question. So I what think, are your thoughts on that? I think you hire really? somebody, right, to come over. Or you get a friend to come over. Somebody um, has to come over to the trailer to practice loading. Yes, and I'm going to say good ground manners. If you have a horse that has really good ground manners, it's going to be a lot easier to do. And we ended up with hundreds of horses that did evacuate to the fairgrounds were being handled by all kinds of strangers, all kinds of people, a lot of them with really good hearts and no horse knowledge or skills on a daily basis. And the horses that were well-mannered made it through a lot easier than those that hadn't had a lot of handling. So I'm going to say good ground manners, and that goes along with trailer loading. 
Well, and being able can, to be caught, You can do so right? much to simulate horse trailer loading before the trailer ever gets there. You know, the, the plywood and the tarps and the just that whole process of taking baby steps towards walking into a strange confined space so that if you literally have to hire somebody to show up with a trailer, you can do all the prep work first before the trailer ever gets there. Absolutely. Yet I think about our neighborhood, which is a horsey neighborhood here in Florida. We have 400 little farms and probably 70% of them have horses and probably 50% of those horses are out and never get touched. You know, and yes. I, I often yes. wonder, you know, the hurricanes come in this direction again. They, I, I think someone wouldn't be able to get caught. Uh, they're backyard pets and they Correct. just feed them and that's it, you know? Yeah. Yes. And like we you had said, Lisa, those, those are the ones that had the problem. Absolutely. And then the next best thing, the horses that I did know that did die were those that wouldn't get into a trailer and couldn't be caught, who were also locked up in smaller paddocks or smaller spaces. Those that did survive were just plain old turned loose. And those, a lot of them were um, identified. They could either have a microchip or people painted phone numbers on their hooves or on their actual bodies. And I would say have some way to identify those horses. Some of them were just running around loose for weeks before anyone could figure out who they belonged to. And that's phenomenal that they were able to be loose for that long and that that all came to fruition. That was that was just an amazing, crazy time. And I think, you know, the more we think about preparedness and what to do ahead of time, we always think, oh, it's not going to happen to us. That's just human nature. It happens to others. Well, uh-huh. <laughs> the reality is yeah. it can happen to any of us at any time. So being being prepared in some way is just such a good idea. We used to have horses that didn't like to load in a trailer, and we actually would feed them out of the trailer. They didn't get fed unless they went in the trailer. And we just put the trailer in mm-hmm. their paddock, and we just put the hay in there, and that's they had to load themselves. And that's how we taught these ones that were hard to catch and hard to load. We just said, well, you want to eat, you got to go in the trailer. Um, so there's always different ways of doing things, you know, and like you said, Glenn, bringing somebody over that has a truck and trailer to help you is of course huge. Yeah. I think you can simulate it, but every once in a while you have to have the trailer there. <laughs> you gotta, oh, really, yeah. you gotta, yeah, you gotta practice with so the thing. Too. Yeah. Cause it's still Definitely. scary and dark and you know, it's claustrophobic for some horses and all of that. But what, what, um, so how does cleanup happen after that? Uh, you know, I often wonder, this is a question that you never hear asked because mainstream media doesn't care after it's done, right? Um, so what happens in your mm-hmm. area to, do people just, the insurance companies start to come out and they start to clean up and rebuild and how long does that take and how heart-wrenching is all of that dealing with your neighbors? That is a really complicated question. It depended a lot on whose insurance company because they all handled it a little bit differently. And then there was FEMA. And then there were people just plain trying to go in and clean up. Uh, I went into one place and attempted to help at least find, you know, sentimental bits or little name tags or whatever. There was nothing. It was nothing but nails, dangerous ash. Uh, We were all wearing masks for a long time is quite a disaster, um, literally. People are still trying to rebuild, still fighting with insurance. And many people have just moved on. They've moved to other states, moved to other places, and it was tiring just give up. A lot of them have left. How long does it take? There are a few that are starting. 
I was wondering, mm-hmm. how long does it take after a fire like that, like in your area where it was, you know, just pretty much consumed everything? How long does it take for vegetation and things to start coming back? Uh, the next spring, everything was pretty green and pretty nice on the ground. The trees are all blackened. I have some pretty odd-looking photographs now on some of the trails I go on. You know, it's all green on the ground. There's sprouting all kinds of things, flowers. But the trees are all black and all burned, and that's now a concern because they're starting to fall down and they're starting to be dry, and I don't know that that will ever come back. I mean, it's going to take a really long time. Well, Lisa, we so appreciate you being on the show today. I know you have to go teach camp at the top of the hour, don't you? I do. (laughs) So tell us a little bit more about your program out there, what you do, and then how people can find you if they want to know more about you and if they live near you. All right. I have a website. It's at clover1030.com. All letters, no numbers, no punctuation. I own nine horses, and it's pretty much a one-man show. It's my own business. And I do after-school camp. I do summer camp. I do regular lessons. And I try to accommodate all different breeds, all different disciplines. Like this coming weekend, I actually am hosting a play day. And we're going to a dressage show. And we're going to a jumping show. All in the same weekend, I've got horses and students in all three locations. So that's a bit of coordination. Um, we do trail rides. We do pretty much whatever people want to do. That's what I adjust to. And my horses are pretty, um, you know, all disciplined horses, very, very well-trained, sweet, all disciplined horses. And we go whatever direction students want to go. Well, Lisa, we so appreciate having part, um, having heard the story today and thank you for coming on and also for being part of CHA and I hope uh, camp goes well this week for you. Why, thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Well, thank I, you. I have to, uh, I wonder, one of the questions, I, I didn't want to hold Lisa up, but one of the questions I wondered about, you know, talking about the cleanup in a situation like that. So your house is burnt down. Basically, what you have now is a lot. And if you're not rebuilding for a while, are you still paying property taxes at the full rate? Ooh. Because I bet you know yeah, now we've the gone from yes. you know mm-hmm. you from having a million dollar home sitting there now to now having nothing but the value of a lot. Are you uh-huh. paying on on the full thing? Do they waive that? I don't know. That's a I, I wonder. I, it's a really good point. I would hope it's just the lot, but even just the lot in you know California, California is going to yeah. be outrageous. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can't imagine the aftermath of that. And even what she said, trail riding through the burnt out areas. First of all, it has to smell, you know, and it just is oh, not yeah. pretty. Um, Hmm. Well, you think about already everything we talked about. We already talked about getting a horse that's down up using compressed airbags. We talked about you with your hurricane evacuation and what you have to do when you have those and then fire. I mean, there's just so many things that can happen. And I don't think we think about them until they're upon us. Very well, often. and you know, I think tornadoes are still the scariest because they just happen so fast. I mean, you don't—they do. I mean, hurricanes. We have a week, two weeks to prepare, right? You, right. You kind of right. have an indication it's coming. Um, True. And you know, fires not so much. I mean, people no. were caught, especially that one last year. I mean, that was that went so fast, people were just caught. That whole town was caught off guard. Correct. So, I mean, that's that's scary. But tornadoes—that's I mean, just yeah. one that you got five minutes. 
<clears throat> well, and there are people to help, though, which I know after our song, we're going to talk to someone who, you know, there are groups out there that can help you if you call them, which is really lovely, too. And more than just your fire department and more than just your local horse community. And we'll chat with uh, Scott about that after well, our song. Melissa emailed me and said, what's that song that you play that talks about green on green? And I thought, what better day than the CHA episode to play Marianne Kennedy's song, Green on Green Makes Black and Blue. Um, so let's play that. And this is for you, Melissa. It's Marianne Kennedy. Green makes black and blue. Wouldn't ride that horse if I were you. It's like walking on a hot tight wire. Dynamite too close to fire. Today you might get off scot-free, but chances are eventually he'll go up. You come down, that's when you'll understand this song. I can't tell you what to do, but green on green makes black and blue. Kennedy with Green on Green. You can find all of her music at MarianneKennedy.com. Christy, how can people avoid Green on Green makes black and blue? <laughs> we do not want a young horse and a young rider combo. That's probably <laughs> a big they one. do that. I, I was trying to set you up here, Christy. I was trying to have the perfect transition by having you go. They go to the CHA website and look for a CHA certified... Oh, you are so good. Yes. And of course they do that. <laughs> so what? Do, let me try that again, Christy. Take two. So what do they do <laughs> if we don't want green on green makes black and blue? They go to chainstructors.com and find a trained person to help them. 
And what what does the CHA do? We are the largest certifying body of equine professionals in North America, and most of our instructors teach um, brand new beginners to ride. Some of us certainly teach at the higher level, but that's what most of us do. So every single one of us has school horses, or you can certainly bring your own horse to us. But we have lots of uh, wonderful school horses that we could use for folks listening that want to learn how to ride. Um, CHAinstructors.com, put in your zip code, your city, and all of us will come up that are near you. Why should I look for a CHA instructor when, you know, the guy down the street's advertising on Facebook? Because you do not want the shingle hangers. You don't want those people, Glenn. You want the people that have gone through a 40-hour certification and have um, that kind of good housekeeping seal of approval third-party entity saying, yep, they're safe. They're safe to teach you and your loved ones how to be around horses. Do you think anybody under the age of 40 knows what good housekeeping is, by the way? I know. (laughs) Probably (laughs) not. Let but I knew you would know it. Seal of approval. If, That's got to you know be what? everybody if, under 50. <laughs> hey, I'm under 50 and I know. So I think under 40 is better. <laughs> <laughs> Does that still around, by the way? I don't know. I don't. <laughs> but it's, it's a good way to put it. All right. How about just, you know, oh, gosh, a digital badge. Yes, there you, you want go. want somebody with their digital badge <laughs> more than you want just the average person that hung a shingle. How about that? <laughs> All right. Uh, how long have we been doing this show? You didn't catch that one. I was shocked. I thought you'd pick up on that one and just <laughs> Sorry. I need more coffee, too. It's still too early here. <laughs> All right. Well, let's instead go to our next guest. Well, I'm so excited to have Scott Holiday on. He is a semi-retired wildland firefighter, as well as the founder and emergency coordinator of Jeffco Heat. They are a large animal rescue and evacuation group based in Conifer, Colorado. They have been rescuing large animals from fire, floods, and other bad situations in Colorado since the year 2000. Scott, thank you so much for being on our show today. Hi, good morning, you guys, and thank you for having me on. It's uh, it's a real privilege, and everybody that, uh, the more people that know about us, uh, the more hopefully we can help get other groups started or get uh, volunteers for our group. Hey, Conifer, Colorado just sounds beautiful. I mean, it's that name just, is it beautiful? Oh, it is. We're at about 8,900 feet. We're uh, 30 miles, approximately 30, 35 miles west of uh, Denver. And um, just like every place else, though, it's getting crowded. A lot of people moving in here. Well, Scott, my boys are at camp this week in Bailey, right next to you. Uh, yes, ma'am. I, I know that place. We actually, uh, when I was uh, more involved in fire, uh, we used to uh, spend a day and uh, go down there and talk to the guys, uh, the kids, about wildfire prevention and what they can do at home to try to secure their homes uh, as best as possible to keep them safe from wildfire. Yeah, it's Camp Idrahaji, and then there's also a big Girl Scout camp up there, too. So I drove right by your house the other day. I think we actually might have had Wendy's, because you know how the boys want to have some fast food before they have camp food. So I think we went to the Wendy's <laughs> there on our way up. So, yes, your town is beautiful. Yeah, you were you were about four miles away, and uh, Camp Idrahaji, back um, when I first got involved with this, back in 2000, I believe the fire was called the Snaking Fire, and we actually moved a bunch of horses out of that area in a pre-evacuation. Um, back that was back when the county 
uh, was getting started in this, and it was literally um, trial by fire for the authorities. Um, my daughter and I called, being concerned citizens with a horse trailer and a little bit of horse sense, and um, asked how we could help. And they had us go down to the staging area, and basically uh, we uh, we started moving horses. It, there was a lot of confusion back in the early days, um, but I'd like to put in a plug for Jefferson County, Colorado, who did just a phenomenal job. Uh, their animal control uh, director jumped up, grabbed the bull by the horns, and put together what's called a county animal response team. Uh, there are three large animal groups and one small animal group that uh, were, were pretty dialed in with stuff. Can you tell our listeners what exactly HEAT stands for? That is uh, horse evacuation assistance team uh you know we toyed around with the name for for quite a long time we wanted to try to get something in there that uh that dealt with fire uh because that was our primary mission back then we since branched out doing floods uh swift water rescue ice rescue um not that all of us are a hundred percent uh dialed in with all of this, but I do my best to try to find funding to, number one, pay for all of my members' gear. Uh, we go through wildland fire classes, swift water classes, and whatnot. So I do my best to um, try to take care of that and take the burden off of them I having to pay. Can you explain to us um, a little bit more how you would evacuate or maybe even give us an example, um, animals from a flood? We haven't had that conversation yet today. You know, um, that goes into um, one thing. We don't just jump in there and and start showing up and moving animals. We are under the authority of the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. So the Animal Control Office that works for them, uh, they basically dispatch us to the different areas. We try to do it on a pre- pre-evacuation notice, um, and it depends on, on uh, how quick the floods happened. Back in 2012, you know, there were basically areas that we could not get in. We're a little different from down south to where the water's moving a heck of a lot faster, uh, than it is down in um, this, the southern tier of the United States and whatnot. So we try to get in there and do it again. Human life is number one. Uh, you know, we all love animals and, and we chomp at the bit to get out there and, and try to do our part. But we're not going to put ourselves in a bad situation in order to save an animal. Um, if, if basically, uh, we die, we can't help any other animals. And that's one of the hardest things that we have. Uh, we haven't had any, um, real swift water rescue, um, as far as active floodings. However, it's a, it's a slow water creep up and whatnot. So again, getting into the lower areas and the last thing you want to do is get your, your vehicle stuck, uh, truck and trailer, um, are, are pretty heavy and you got the soft ground. So there's a lot of caution. There's a lot of thought process that goes in there. You got to think about what you're doing before you get in there and get yourself in a bad way. Well, and you had just mentioned 
ice rescue. And that's something Glenn and Jen don't have in Florida. But I would love um, to hear more <laughs> about ice rescue and what you've had to do in those situations. You know, once again, um, we actually, as far as an actual call, uh, was a deer that had fallen through the water. Generally, we don't deal with wild animals. Um, however, the fire department was on scene, and they called us asking for our help. Um, again, it was it was getting dark. Uh, we're not uh, wild animals are not our specialty, but it was trying to basically get a rope uh, behind the animal and hoping that the uh, the noise of the rope and having that that uh, rope behind the animal would kind of uh, uh, force it towards shore. Uh, it was semi ice covered lake. So, uh, that did work. Uh, the deer was very cold when it got out of there. And, and basically what we ended up doing was moving back and let back on its feet on its own. And it took off and it was fine. Uh, the, uh, rescue class that, that they had done and, um, uh, was up in uh, Wisconsin, I believe, and it was done last year. I had two of my members go in there, and basically uh, they were working for a nationally recognized company that, that does a uh, a lot of uh, uh, tornado recovery, flood recovery. It's Code 3 and Associates, if I may put in a plug for them. They're great folks. Uh, they've taught us a lot. Uh, so going back to the ice rescue is basically um, cutting a channel in the ice uh, with whatever tools you have on hand and and then trying to guide the animal out um, again on its own. Uh, there's no way you can put one in a boat, you know, but uh, horses are good swimmers for the most part. So with a little guidance, um, we can get them out of those situations. That is wonderful. So you had mentioned um, that you have many volunteers that are a part of this. How do you find your volunteers? How do you train them? How does that process work? You know, the volunteers seem to find us. Uh, we, we've gone through some growing pains, of course, and we sat with uh, five members for a long time. And Generally, uh, like anything else, once you have an incident or during an incident, the people will will come out and they want to help and, and they spend a lot of time um, working with us. We give them guidance. We'll put them uh, uh, in a vehicle with one of our other folks or, or have them basically follow with their truck and trailer. Um, giving them the basics as far as animal handling. A lot of the folks that, well, all of the folks that we have are uh, large animal owners, horse owners, etc. Um, as as far as the gear, once again, with the economy being what it is, uh, I'm a firm believer in trying to pay for all of their gear myself out of out of uh, Jeffco Heat's bank book. Um, so I'll chase down grants. I'll um, I'll find people. Uh, you know, there may be somebody that that we move their animal and they want to give us uh, a check for doing it. We t we tell them that they don't have to do it, but we gladly accept it. And and all of that does go uh, into our coffers so that we can we can um, supply the folks with 
with what we call PPE, uh, personal protective equipment. Our members also um, are put through a wildland firefighter training course. It's basically the same thing that the wildland firefighters do. Now, they are not firefighters by going through this course, but they have the basic understanding of fire behavior, uh, how the weather impacts it, how the fuels and the topography uh, impact it. And um, in the situational awareness of should I be here or should I not be here? Um, again, uh, you know, we can't help others if if we become um, if we become injured or heaven forbid uh, we pass away because of, of bad decisions. So. Uh, I'm a firm believer in the fact that, that our group has training. Uh, another thing that I did was I purchased a radio system, uh, which to my knowledge were one of the only rescue groups in the United States that have um, FCC granted frequencies. Uh, we've got a couple of repeaters up on towers. Um, and again, this is just for the front range of Colorado, the Denver area. Um, whatever I can do to help the volunteers um, help us, I'm certainly willing to do it. And it's not always easy. You know, I, uh, I've seen the volunteer base go down um, not only for fire departments, but in, in any volunteer type situation, just because either people don't have the time, they don't have the money. Um, when I first got involved with it, I was, you know, I was taking every class, I was doing everything that I could. And you reach, I don't want to say a burnout, but just the, the, a point in your life where you've got to find that balance between taking care of your family and your personal needs, and then taking care of the volunteer stuff that comes up. I mean, the bell could ring basically any time, you know, and, and you've got to have folks that are willing to uh, crawl out of bed at 2 o'clock in the morning. That actually happened with uh, myself and my daughter during the Heyman fire, and we went down to pick up, I think it was six horses. We had a four-horse trailer. We got five in there. And um, my daughter was arguing at this time, she was 14 years old and she's arguing with one of the deputies about uh, who was going to ride the horse up the hill, whether it was going to be uh, my daughter or the deputy, the deputy won. Uh, so he rode that horse uh, about three and a half miles um, up to the junction where we met another trailer um, lead rope and no saddle no blanket, no nothing, just barebacked. And uh, the deputy literally rolled off of the horse up at the top and, um, and climbed into his squad car and sat for a few minutes. It turned out that the horse was an endurance horse and it trotted that entire time. So that was one of the one of the happy moments for us, you know, bittersweet for her. But, um, uh, you know, it, it created a bond. That, that that we have with um, with the sheriffs and the deputies and whatnot. You know, they they know we're out there doing uh, doing what we do best, and and likewise they're doing their job out there. Uh, you know, so it was a great experience for my daughter. Uh, she's got a passel of horses now herself, and and does very well with them. She's still 
um, a member of our group, and and it's it's just really neat to to watch her and see her grow with that. So, Scott, what are some ideas for people in the rest of the country to be able to start groups like this near them if they feel like that's necessary? You know, everybody, I think, has a passion for wanting to help. There's there's a place for 99% of these people. The biggest problem that we have with society nowadays is we don't talk to each other enough. Um, the, the, you, you gotta have a, a plan together. Um, I'd be happy to share my stuff with folks and, and it's not set in stone what I do because different areas have, have different, uh, different needs and whatnot. Um, so the people are out there, they just need somebody to shepherd them into a group. Um, once you get that group of people, you decide, okay, so what are we going to specialize in? Uh, what, what type of evacuations are needed here or, um, uh, you know, other types of, of issues that, that horses and other large animals can get into. You get that down on paper and this is exactly what I did. And I, I presented it to a group of people. Um, I had the advantage of already being known in the in the county with the authorities of what we did, but they need to contact their local animal control or uh, sheriff's office and and see what they have in place first. Uh, you know, if, if you're duplicating what's already out there why not just join that, that other group that is out there? And again, if, if you need to uh, start a group like this, um, you know, have a plan and, and get stuff dialed in that way. The people will come. What is that saying? If you build it, they will come, right? And, uh, and, and that holds true. You may not have them immediately, but the more the word gets out, um, the more folks that are going to show up. And again, my thought is, I don't want this group to be so big that politics get in the way, you know, or, or uh, that you start having problems managing people. Um, I, I, I love the folks that I've got. They are just totally awesome group of folks. We come from all different walks of life. We, we actually had a brain surgeon in the group for a little bit and he's since retired. He was an older gentleman, but, but the people come from all walks of life. But if you don't talk, you don't know that these people are out there or they don't know that you're out there, you know, social media. I'm not a big fan of that, but it's a great tool. And actually, um, uh, you know, I know this question is going to come up later, but I'll just touch base on it. We, we are on Facebook and I had two young ladies that were daughters of uh, two of my members that were going, oh, yeah, let's do Facebook. Let's do Facebook. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not a social media guy. Well, the more that I thought about it, the more I'm like, it's a great tool. So I told them, okay, go ahead and get it going, but please run everything by me. Um, because, again, once you put it out there, it's hard to retrieve it. Uh, and they've done a great job with it. You know, they, they really have, and I've gone to let them go, uh, off on their own with it. But again, using the tools that are out there, 
uh, to promote your group is huge. So, Scott, for our listeners out there that are thinking, how can we be prepared when these types of things happen? What are some of your uh, educational tips for our listeners today? You know, uh, your guest that you had on Lisa out there in California, uh, she touched base on a lot of it. Again, being prepared, uh, planning, talking to your fellow uh, horse owners uh, that are local, uh, teaching your 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 horse to load my trailer or your llama for that matter. And I know your horse specific, so we'll keep it to that. But again. Uh, you need just like you have a hopefully have a plan for yourself and what to do if you need to evacuate. You need to have that plan for your animals too. Um, so so again, plan, have a disaster plan. Be prepared. Have your bags packed. Have you know go out and spend the extra money to make sure that your horses uh, their items are duplicated. So you have that in a bag. Um, uh, teach them trailer loading, teach them manners, as Lisa said. Um, and it's not just handling by you. Other people need to handle your animals. And this is where it gets a little touchy. You know, people, oh, that's my horse and you can't touch it. Blah, blah. Get over it. You know, Uh, there may come a time when you're going to need those folks, uh, to help you out. And another thing is that, that, Paying attention to your environment, you know, red flag warnings uh, for fire stuff. Uh, they they have the National Weather Service and the local authorities have been really really good about about moving forward with posting those warnings and whatnot. If you have a large uh, a large acreage, you know, as as the spring is coming and you can graze your horses in the outer pastures as stuff starts drying up, bring them into the closer uh, pastures so that um, they'll be able to be caught. Hopefully, you know, uh, red flag warning days. Well, you know, maybe keep them in the paddock for that day. I actually do um, uh, uh, talks with folks about how to prepare. Um, I, I work with barns. I work with, uh, animal owners. Um, I did one for a huge, huge corporation uh, here southwest of Denver that ha- actually has um, horse pasture, and they allow their employees to um, have their horses on those pastures. So again, the thing is, graze the far pastures. If the weather is looking, if they're going to put out a red flag warning, bring them in closer. You know, get that documentation, have a picture with you, you and your horse, uh, because a lot of times duplicate your paperwork, you know, and keep that not at your house, but in a place, you know, someplace where the fire might not get it, whether it be, uh, uh, with friends, with other family in a, uh, uh, bank box or something like that, but don't. Don't just don't think it won't happen to you because it very easily could. Um, so the biggest thing, I, I guess, take home message with that is be prepared and have a plan. Scott, I'd love that. And especially about your documentation, you know, in this day and age, just take a picture of it on your phone because your phone's going to evacuate yeah. with you and then you have it on your oh, phone. Yeah. 
right? I mean, there's just yep. so many ways yep. to use modern technology to help us these days, and we need to make sure that we're doing that. So I just so appreciate all of your tips for both starting a program and also for those that want to just make sure to keep their animals, you know, as safe as they can during these times when they have to evacuate and do other things. So let everyone know um, who's listening, how do they find you? What is your website, for example? Okay, the website is Jeffco heat.org and uh, pretty simple uh, I believe we're the only ones by that name funny thing is is when we put our placards on you know people go oh you're a heating company and it's like no read, read closer <laughs> we're a county animal response team find us yeah on you never Facebook. think of that Again, yeah yeah uh, <laughs> you know, but, but we have been asked that and we get a chuckle and it usually turns into a half an hour conversation about what we do um, so yeah the on the web jeffcoheat.org uh, Facebook or worst case scenario give me a call 303-378-1678 Scott thank you so much for being on the show today and explaining to us everything that Jeff Coheat does you do a wonderful service for our uh, mountain community up there near Conifer and other places and we just really appreciate you being on today Alrighty, thank you for having me. It's been a real privilege. I really appreciate everything, and and uh, I'm glad that I discovered y'all. Well, we're glad too. So thanks, Scott. Have a good rest of your day. Well, there you go. Now that we scared everybody to death, um, or did we make them feel better? I'm not sure which. We educated. That's what Training <laughs> Tuesday is all about. <laughs> You know, I don't think we need to scare them. People, horse people get scared about every little thing anyway. So, uh, you know, there's that. We're, we're, well, speaking we're about terrified being of every scared, little thing. I better do a little sideways here. Guess what I did on Saturday? I got to ride on the Arapaho racetrack on my horse. Really? Yes. The Colorado Horse Council was doing, speaking of horse councils, was doing a special fundraiser day and you paid 50 bucks and you got to ride on the track. How was that? Right? Was it oh a thoroughbred? Gosh. Please tell me it was thoroughbred. No, I, well, I was on an Appaloosa thoroughbred and Appaloosa's oh, race counts. too, you know. Yes. <laughs> that counts. Yes. But I'll tell you, my Appaloosa thoroughbred, speaking of being scared, got a, had a little moment. I'm like, oh my gosh, I might fall off. But the ground, the footing was very lovely. So if I had fallen off, it would have been okay. I just don't know where the horse would have ended up. So I was glad <laughs> I did not fall off. Did you do the uh, track in, in uh, less than two minutes? No, no, no. I did not gallop. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Safety first, Glenn. I pictured Safety you galloping first. around in your two point with your little race saddle. Yeah, no, that would be for Jen. Jen could do that. <laughs> I was in my dressage saddle and trying to ride the pee off most of the time <laughs> that he was giving me. Yes. And all those race people were going, look at that silly horse out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's that horse doing out there? I have a new appreciation for jockeys. The track is big. You do not realize how big it is when you're sitting in the grandstand. When you get out there, oh, my gosh, it is big. It was a phenomenal experience. So shout out to Bruce Seymour and everybody that made that happen. That was phenomenal. Well, that's a cool idea, actually. That's a really cool idea. Were there horses actually doing the gallop? You know, some people were up in their little two-point. I think it was all hand gallop. I don't think anybody was really racing because we're all out. just, you know, yeah. backyard owners that have horses that wanted <laughs> to go play. people, yeah. It was. <laughs> just the regular folks. But every breed. I mean, we had a Frisian out there. There was a little kid on a pony. I mean, it was it was really, really fun. Oh, they got so some cool. great photos. Yeah, it was really cool. I would love to do, uh, some at some point, I would really love to do 
I'd love to drive a sulky at some point on a track. And I have a standing yes. invitation to people who actually uh, work with teenagers to teach them how to harness, uh, you know, do harness racing. Uh, they said I could come out anytime, Wendy and I, and they would put us on the track. So now apparently they have two seaters when they do that. It's like it's like driving. It's like learning to drive in your car. So they have two seaters there, and so somebody else can take over the reins if all goes bad. And can help. Well, you yeah. know, you've got to come to conference again this year. I'm going to do one more shout out. Ellen Taylor is bringing her, um, they're basically, she calls them trotting breads. So they're smaller standard breads, and she does Harness Horse Youth Foundation. And oh, she that's actually it. That's who, that's who promised me a drive. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, come to Houghton in New York if you want in October, and she'll be there or wherever you want to go. But, yeah, well, Houghton that's is where they do group. their clinics, I think. It's, it's it where be. they actually do their work is up there. They have them all over the place, like yeah. Ohio, Indiana. We we need to have her on the show again is what it sounds like. I need to get her on. I'll yeah, make you a need note. to get her on. It, it just sounded like a blast. I mean, to drive a racehorse on the track, that would be cool. That'd oh. be, or terrifying. I'm not sure which. I'll let you know. <laughs> I'll let Good you know after you. which one it was. Do it. Then I want photo and video. <laughs> well, thank you for putting this together, Christy. Where can people find the CHA again? Yes, they can find us at CHA.horse. And then if you want to find an equine professional or a facility near you to board your horse or take a trail ride, it is CHAinstructors.com. And I'm going to remind everybody again that we will not have any live shows until next Monday. So, because Jennifer and I are flying out tomorrow to Denver to see Christy, we're going to go out to dinner with Christy. And actually, it's not the whole reason we're coming, but uh, we're also going to go Whatever, to that, Glenn, to go to you that know trade it's the whole reason thing. you're coming. Yeah. And then actually, we're, we have a whole day off on Saturday and we're going to head up into the park and hopefully do some hiking. So, we're going to Yay. head up to Estes Park and uh, do that up there. I, I just love Estes Park. That was some, one of the coolest towns. Oh, my gosh. In the Rocky Mountain National Park, you're going to probably see elk and deer because they're coming down, you know, because yes. it's, it's decent weather. Oh, you're going to I like heard it. there's still a lot of snow up there, huh? There is. You're going to have to have definite hiking boots on with some winter sh- um, socks because you might step in some snow on the trails. Yeah, I heard. It's really late this year. It, uh, you had a big snowpack. So uh, yeah. we're looking forward to it. It's a, We had a blast when we were there the last time, and I'm sure we will again. So we'll see you a little later in the week. Sounds good. Thanks again, Glenn and Jen.